I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. I got my pockets full of dreams and they're busting at the seams going. Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse. This is a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that make us all feel encouraged. Want to hear what makes these women passionate to get up in the morning or what maybe they wish they'd known a little bit earlier in their lives? Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. Stomp to my own song. Stomp, hey. There's a great big world that I want to see and a whole lot of things that I want to be. All I got to do is count one, two, three. Do my own drum. Whatever you do, it ain't nothing on me because I'm doing my thing and I hold the key. Today, I have a guest with me and I welcome the listeners to Jen Garrett. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm excited. I can't wait to dive into your world and find out a little bit more about what you do and who you are. Jen, if somebody asked you today what you did professionally or who you were personally, what would your answer be? Who I am or who I was, because there is a difference. Oh, well, this could be great. Let's go both places. <laughs> who were you and who are you? Yes. And the reason I ask is because I recently went on a journey, a transition about uh, 15, 16 months ago. I left the corporate world behind to be an entrepreneur. So that's why I asked the question. If someone were to ask me 16 months ago who I was or two years ago, I was very, you know, or five years ago, I was very corporate focused. And I would talk about, you know, my corporate experience, my executive experience working in Fortune 50 companies and how I was a leader in that domain. So that's what I would talk about then. The Jen Garrett today is the entrepreneur. I'm, uh, I like to refer to myself as being a leadership expert and a branding architect. And I work with organizations as well as individuals and professional athletes on how to elevate and ignite performance to a higher level for them, as well as on the branding elements of their business and their brand, like for athletes specifically, their brand that they have to manage, as well as any business ventures that they might be involved with in the branding that goes around that. Wow. How did you get into that? Are you an athlete yourself? Is that a world that you have been a part of? I, I, I was an athlete when I was younger, but not like competitive, you know, not pro level athlete or anything like that. I did. I am a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. I did used to compete internationally in Taekwondo as well. Um, but, but no, I mean, for me, I published a book in 2013 called Move the Ball. That book was all about how do you take the principles of American football and apply them beyond the game of football to be successful, not only in business, because everybody talks about sports to business, but in life. And so how do you apply these concepts holistically across everything? And since then, I really started doing speaking events and, and talking more so in the corporate space initially versus the sports world, because to be completely candid, I didn't come from that sports world. I didn't know anybody that played football professionally or collegiately. I didn't have that network. And so over time, I just you know continued to build out that network and it was a lot of work and 
and headaches and rejection and you know people being dismissive of you along the way. But that's kind of the beginning of how I got into it was through the book and then just continue to share my message with different people. And some started listening from the football world and that kind of just snowballed into other opportunities, which was, was great. Um, and then I have a podcast as well called Move the Ball where I have former, uh, former and current professional athletes on the show as well as Fortune 500 executives and successful entrepreneurs talking about how the competitive athlete mentality translates to leadership and success beyond the game. Yeah, I know it does. I, I've watched um, just through my kids, they, they all played college sports, but they didn't um, go pro, but they had a lot of friends who did. And to see that there, and just the experiences they've had um, there are a lot of parallels into the business world and the athletic world. What are some that you see that are, are probably most prevalent? Yeah, I, I, there's a couple. It's a great question. So some of the things that I see that are important are the, the notion of continuous improvement, the always looking at how you can improve and be better. That's one element, but I should step back. I mean, the other thing that's so great about sports, when I have these athletes on my show, a lot of them talk about something they really enjoyed about playing their sport of choice was the team aspect. It was the people coming together from various backgrounds. It didn't matter what your ethnic background was, your socioeconomic status, like people came together for a common objective. And that's what's important in business as well. And I feel like it doesn't always gel as quickly in the business setting as it does in sports because you show up, everyone's interested in the sport. So they're there to play and figure it out, right? So that's a very important piece is how do you make sure that your teams are coming together and aligning around a common objective. And I think too, in business, that objective isn't clear cut. Whereas in sports, you're trying to win a game, right? Score more points, score more goals, whatever it is to beat out the competition. In business, not everybody knows what winning means because it hasn't been clearly defined. And so that's an important element outside of sports that people as business leaders need to really making sure that their employees, their teammates are aligned to a common objective. So, so that's one element that crosses both. The other piece is the accountability part of that, right? In sports, you're held accountable very much by your coach, by your teammates. The same thing needs to happen in business. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. And so when it's not done effectively, that's where you see businesses that start to struggle because they're not holding people accountable and managing the performance of the team as they should. So there's that. And then going back to that continuous improvement, that competitive athlete mentality, how can I always be better than how we were before? Um, you know, athletes are looking at it from an individual perspective as well as the team. Same thing in the business context, you need to be looking at how can I as an employee be better? How can I be a better leader? But how can I operate my team more effectively as well? So when you were talking about the athlete being a brand, that's mm -hmm. a fairly new concept, is it not? Or is I, more widespread than it maybe has been? Yeah, I would say it's more widespread. I don't think it's a really new concept because I think you've had people that are like the superstars that mm -hmm. are that have been familiar with managing their brand because they're a big name, right? But I think now more and more athletes are realizing, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm the biggest person out there. I still have a brand to manage because with social media, everyone's on Twitter and Facebook and and um, Instagram and all these platforms. So 
it's easy for the world to have their eyes on these brands now or these these players whereas maybe before all the social media stuff only the top names are being followed right and probably younger and younger you're seeing yes so are you yes. do you work with do you do you go into college situations and and work with athletes at this point um, or do you find that even a need yeah, I think it's a, it is a need as you're in college too, because especially with NCAA rules changing too, where athletes can get paid to use their likeness and stuff like that. It's absolutely an important element at the collegiate level. So I do work with collegiate and pro, mostly pro, but also some collegiate athletes. Yeah. So how do you do that? Do, do you, um, somebody just calls you and says, hey, um, we want you to be involved or with this group or team or individual or how, how does that work for you? Yeah. So that's a great question. So I usually work with a lot of different agents. And so as they have players, then we'll talk about different needs that their players have or with universities themselves. Cause I also do a lot of motivational speaking tied to my book and how do you get, you know, uh, individuals and teams, not just athletic teams, but teams of, of people uh, to optimize their performance. So through relationships that I have with schools, I might get a referral from a coach or an athletic director that says, hey, you know, you should talk to this particular individual. I think they could use your help or just through the network that I have from I've been doing this for a little while now. Yeah. So back to the book. Uh, did you think you'd be an author? Is that the direction that you thought you'd had? Well, I had always had a passion for writing ever since I was like in third grade. I loved to write. And so when I was in my first job out of college, I had thought about writing a book. This was early 2000s. And I was like, well, who would want to read it? Like, who am I that someone would want to read what I had to say? So I allowed that to discourage me because I wasn't, you know, some executive or public figure. And so I just kind of put that on the back burner. And then over time, I'd get these ideas. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should write this book. And then I'm like, eh, later, you know. And so um, back in 2011, I was I'm a big football person. I'm from Chicago. So I was at a Chicago Bears football game where I got the inspiration to write the book. It was the NFC championship game between the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers. Big rivalry. People were excited. Freezing cold weather at Soldier Field. And there was a moment in that game in the fourth quarter where the Bears had the ball and they took a timeout because it was fourth down and they had to decide they had to go for it they were going to decide what they were going to do and in that moment I thought about how there were fourth down moments in our own lives and we need to think about what are we going to do are we going to punt are we going to go for it if so what play are we going to run and so that's how the book was born but I had always wanted to write a book so this was the first one that I said you know what I'm going to write this one and so the other reason why i had been hesitant was I didn't know anything about the world of publishing or what do you do? Like you could write this thing, but then what? And so I finally had met somebody who had been a New York Times bestselling author who had walked the road that I needed to learn more about. So I was like, maybe this is my connection so I could learn what I need to do. And so that was kind of the interaction that kind of set things in motion. Wow. Was it hard? 
writing a book, to write a good book, it's a lot of work because you can be a great writer, but you're not going to put together a fantastic product on the first pass. So you're going to edit and edit and edit. You're going to have an editor look at it. You're going to make changes based on that. So it's a, it's a very labor intensive process to do it right. Um, I enjoy, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I did it and it's been a, a great career move for me and just the opportunities that I've had because of it, but it, it was a lot of work. Yeah. And did your heart get wrapped up into it where it's like the editor's like, no, no, no. And you're like, but that's mine, my words. Did you have those feelings? I tend to be, I tend to, cause I, I'm a lawyer and I was an engineer before. Like I tend to be pretty objective. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm very open to feedback and, and also, you know, I'm, I was a first time book author. It's very different to write a term paper, you know, or yeah. something from an, in an academic setting. So I very much valued the input of the editor because when you write a book, you want to make sure it's going to engage and interest your reader more so it's not just about, well, let me tell you these concepts like a term paper, but it's really like, hey, let's let's interact and let me bring you into this world of football. And so I appreciated the feedback that I got and he gave me some things to think about. So I enjoyed the editing process. Oh, wow. All right. You have just told me so much in one sentence of all these different hats and places that you've, you've in, engaged professionally. A lawyer, an engineer, an author, a, a branding coach, a, so much. Okay, so what were you, was this your path or were you just kind of deciding as you went what you needed next or were you fulfilling a need that in your career you saw you needed to have? So, so how, what's the direction of your pathway? Yeah, great question. So I have seven degrees, so I'm a little bit crazy on the education side. Um, I love academia. That being said, I do not have any plans to go back. Um, Come on, let's go for eight. (laughs) No, seven is plenty. Um, But, you know, I started off in engineering. I went and got an MBA. After that, I went to law school. I was very fortunate that I worked for companies that paid for um, not my, my undergrad and my MBA I paid for. Um, My MBA had a little bit of tuition assistance, but law school and then um, another master's and two legal masters after that were all paid for by companies. So I was very blessed to have very generous education assistance programs where I worked. So I'm not in debt. That's my that's my message. Seven degrees, but not drowning in student debt. There you, um, go. But you know, I, I always enjoyed learning. And for me, like I always wanted to be different. I will admit, like I have this fear of being average. So I always set these high goals for myself and I have a high need for achievement. So for me, it was always like, oh, they're going to pay for school oh, well, that's another thing that I can have that other people don't have because they weren't taking advantage of that. And so, and I love to learn. So for me, it was okay, yeah, it just makes sense to to keep going to school because that gave me additional perspectives and knowledge that could make me more of a valuable resource to the team that other people didn't have. Yeah, wow. Well, you know, mindset is a real hot topic these days, and it sounds like you have pretty control of your mindset. Um, yes. What do you What do you think about all the talk of mindset, especially yeah, I mean, in the work world? 
Yeah, I mean, I think mindset is so important. I mean, the way that you start the day, the thoughts that you have in your head are absolutely going to dictate the outcomes of your day, no matter what happens throughout the day. So for me, I mean, mindset is a huge part of my life. So there's a phrase that I like to say, I, I like to say, and I say this on every episode of my podcast, at the end of it, I always say, make sure that you suit up you show up and you move the ball. And suiting up is really about when you wake up in the morning, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking about? What kind of mindset do you bring into the day? Because it re that plus your routines are really what's going to drive the results of the day. Yeah. So Taekwondo is quite a personal discipline. Yes. And brings in a lot of the attributes that you've been talking about. So how did you get started in into that sport? Yeah, I, I started when I was an adult. So I did not, um, I didn't grow up as a martial artist, you know, child and, and continue when I was young. I ended up working on a Navy base. Um, my first job out of college as an engineer, I was a government employee. And uh, they happened to have a an, another engineering manager there who happened to teach Taekwondo on the base. And so I thought, well, why not give this thing a try and see, you know, what it's like. And so I loved it. It was great. I did it for many, many years. Like I said, I have a third degree black belt. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was a great time in my life to be a part of that. And then to compete internationally, too, was just fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, several of my kids are involved in um, the martial arts world. Um, they do jujitsu. And then Isaac has been involved in the the, I guess it's cage fighting and, and that kind of thing. But, um, but they tell me that it spills into every aspect of their lives. Yes. And so that discipline and that um, doing something that maybe you're unfamiliar with or that somebody is better than somebody is always better than you. Absolutely. So you yes. see a lot of things that you're involved in kind of have those same pathways Yes. Yeah. And also you bring up a good point. I mean, people being better than you, there's always going to be people that are better than you and no matter what it is that you do. And that's important for you to find those people because those people are going to help you be better. And so when I have these athletes, for example, on my show, I'll have a lot of NFL guys and we'll talk about, you know, people that they've aligned themselves with or how they were able to stay in the NFL for a long period of time, because the average NFL career now is about two years. That's not a long time. And you see guys that have six, eight, 10, 12 seasons, some people 20, uh, you know, and <laughs> And part of that is because they learned from people that were already in the league how to be better, what to do, what not to do, right? And so it's really finding those people in your life that are better than you and learning from them instead of trying to strive to be the best or the smartest person in the room. That's not the room you want to be in. You want to be in the room where people are going to keep challenging you and forcing you to level up. Yeah, yeah. I've heard a lot of um, management folks, CEOs talk about that of if they're the smartest person in the room, then they they're in trouble and, yes. and they like to align themselves and, and uh, have have the engineers that are smarter than they are that are able to actually contribute to whatever the work is. 
So that right. seems yeah, to- and you keep in mind, like those CEOs are not unintelligent people, right? right? They're very smart themselves, but they want to align themselves with other people that are just as brilliant, just as intelligent, even more intelligent in certain areas, because you want those are the people you want to be around. Yeah, that's um, my husband. Tom is a CEO, and that is his philosophy. The last thing he wants to do is to be the one in the room with all the answers and the only answers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he loves it when the folks that he works with, and he works with awesome people, um, that, um, that they, they challenge his thinking and his yes. whole process. So um, do you have a favorite moment in this part of your life that um, just pops in your mind when you think, yeah, I like this? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know if I have a favorite moment because I'll I'll say that you know every day I feel blessed to have to have the opportunities that I do and, and just different people will reach out wanting to work with me and I'd be like oh my gosh this is the greatest thing ever because I never thought that this would be the path that I was on. I, I honestly thought that I was going to be a corporate ladder climbing person. I wanted to be a Fortune 500 CEO. That was my goal. And that was what I was working towards until a couple of years ago. My dad passed away four and a half years ago. And that kind of put me on a different trajectory, started doing a bunch of reflection on what was really important in life. And I loved the life that I had. So it wasn't like I had a life that was unfulfilling or unrewarding because it wasn't. It was great. But when my dad passed away, just because it was so unexpectedly, it really made me think about how the world keeps moving when you're gone. And so what kind of legacy do you really want to leave behind? And for me, I had built a great corporate resume, but I was like, you know, there's more than just that. And so that's why I left to really focus on my Move the Ball brand and making an impact in a different way. So I don't have a, one specific moment because um, I'm just enjoying the journey as a whole. Well, and that's probably a pretty good message. And especially for the type of people that you work with, because mm-hmm. so much of the world is at their feet, yet it's a hard, hard life. Um mm-hmm but yet it can just go so quickly. So enjoying that moment and, and knowing the trajectory of where you're headed. Um, you really actually gave me goosebumps with that because the world does keep moving. And I think that when we have something happen in our lives, you know, it does keep moving. So um, how did you, did you grow up with these kind of um, pillars in your life that allowed you to think like that or you know how did how did you how did you get so wise and be so young (laughs) well I had great parents for one um and I you know I think education is so important obviously I went to school for quite a long time but I was blessed to go to a private school I grew up in Chicago in the city um back in the 70s and 80s Chicago public schools are not very good and if you could afford to put your children in private school, then you did. And I was an only child. And so my parents were able to financially do that for me, which was probably one of the greatest things that they could have ever done because just it was 
things, small classroom size, teachers really cared. Not that in public schools, they don't care. I'm not saying that at all, but it was just a great environment for me. They gave us a lot of autonomy to really learn and grow and put together, you know, a plan for ourselves in terms of learning. So for example, when I was in sixth grade, my math teacher, she let us go at our own pace in math. And so I loved math. Math was my thing. And so I finished the sixth grade math book. I finished the seventh grade math book. And I finished four chapters of the eighth grade math book, which was algebra, uh, when I was in sixth grade. And so, I mean, just allowing you to continue to to learn and, and push you in that environment was great. And I'm also a very stubborn person. <laughs> and so very oh, hard-headed. My mom, my mom likes to remind me. And so, because um, my, my youngest daughter is also very stubborn. And so my mom just laughs about that. She's like, just wait till she gets older. Um, but but no, I mean, I, I've always been one that's like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to figure it out, you know, and, and I'm not going to let people stop me or tell me no that I can't do something. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Tom used to tell me that um, whatever attribute that one of our kids had that drove me the most insane was exactly what they were going to need in their adult life. Mm-hmm. And he's been right. I mean, yes. it, it really has played out. All right, let's give some information to some parents. How do you, how would you encourage a, a young parent or, or even one who's fairly seasoned um, in, in just the biggest parenting wisdom you got there? What, what do you think? Both in education, personally watching them grow, um, all the social stuff that hits them. So mm-hmm. what are your, your takes on that? I would say that you play a huge influence in your children's life. So be mindful of how you're influencing. Look, everyone's got their own parenting style, right? I'm not, I'm not the, the expert in parenting by any means. Um, but I'll say that, you know, and certainly there are things that I would do differently if I could go back in with my kids that are, are older. And I traveled quite a bit for work. So I was gone here and there. But the thing, and I remember um, I dated a guy that used to tell me about how he's like, you know, you're not there for your kids because you travel all the time. And, and I was like, you know, I have a great relationship with my kids. Yes, I'm not physically there all the time, but we have these things called phones. And they can text me, they can like, if they need something, I am there, right? And so I think the influence that you have and the messages that you send to your kids are so important. Are you gonna be there when they need it? Are you fully present when they need it? Do they know they can count on you? Do they trust you? You know, having that relationship is so important. So however you're gonna build that relationship, I think is important. Um, And you know, what you're teaching your kids by the example that you set, right? The things you post on social media, as an example, are you contributing to the noise or are you posting things of value to really help make the world a better place? That's something that's very important for me to do. And so, you know, I like to think as I, so I have five kids, my oldest is 24, my youngest is four, the rest are 21, 18 and 11. And so I look at my older kids, right? And I see what's important to them and the things they do. And if I've done my job right, they will be fine individuals, right? Even if I wasn't there every single day, if I've done the things that I needed to do, they will have picked up on the things that are important, the values, the work ethic, you know, all the things that are important to being successful in life. And to be, I mean, for me, being kind is important, you know, being there for your friends, for your loved ones, focusing on relationships. Like those are the things that I want my kids to value Um, as well as honesty and character and all those other things as well. But it comes back to you and the influence that you uh, impress upon your kids. Yeah. So be mindful of that. Oh, I totally, totally agree. Um, How do you balance? How do you balance 
family and work and uh, you know, you, you could be gone all the time or, but there's just a balance. There's a work balance, life balance, kid balance. I mean, I think our, our, whatever is on our plate changes, but there's always got to be a balance. So how do you do that? How do you prioritize? Yeah. So I'm very big on planning out my weeks and you're right. I mean, it's so easy to get consumed with so many things and those things can change over time, but we're always going to have a ton of stuff that's vying for our time, more time than we have to give. So for me, I am very much a planner every week. I look on Sundays I I plan out my week and I say, all right, these are my priorities for the week. These are other things that are important to me, but they're not important this week. So I'm going to push them off. So that what that does is that reduces my stress level because I don't have all these other things I'm thinking about in my head this week. And then it's really about being intentional with each day. I, every morning I have a morning routine, which includes thinking about the day and looking at, okay, these are the things I said I was going to do today. This is how I'm going to spend my time. I'm very big on blocking out the noise. Like on our phones, we get so many notifications. I don't look at it throughout the day until I'm ready to, because I don't need that distraction. Because what happens is you get a notification. You're like, oh, let me look at that real quick. Right. And then, oh, now I have to respond to this because somebody posted something. I don't do any of that because then it just takes time. I'm very mindful for the times that if I do happen to pick up the phone and look at who has messaged me or whatever in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to respond to this, but I'm telling myself, like, you know, this is what you're doing. So I'm very, very mindful about how I spend each and every minute of every day. And does that mean that I get everything done that I want every day? No, right. Things happen. Life happens. But at the end of the day, I'm always assessing, okay, where am I at? And how do I change my plan for tomorrow if I didn't get everything done? Or what do I need to shift? So it's a continual process of planning, reviewing that plan, and then assessing, you know, each and every day. So that's a great, great idea um, just to have a time that you look at things and kind of get sidetracked at that moment, an intentional moment. I found myself doing this traveling that I've been doing here lately. I rented an office space um, one day and that was the most productive I think I've been in years. And I think it was because I was paying for that. I'm not going to look at my phone while I am paying to be here and to have a specific purpose so I found that very interesting that you can do some things like that. Are you a uh, a digital calendar person or are you a paper calendar person? It's a great question. I am a digital calendar person, meaning I manage uh, my appointments off of my iPhone. However, I'm a paper planner. So I do have a hand planner that I write out. I don't write my appointments out. I write my tasks, like things that I'm focused on, my goals, my priorities for the week. All of that is handwritten. I also like to handwrite because then it's for me, it cements it more in my mind if I've actually taken the time to write it out by hand versus typing it, you know, into a, a, a note on my phone or something like that. Yeah. So what's a typical day like for you? What time does it start and what's it or is there a typical day? <laughs> it's a great question. So for me, one thing that I'm very firm on is I believe that 
-hmm. it's important to have seven to eight hours sleep. I don't care what time you go to bed. I don't care. Like I am very much a sleep person. Science has proven the benefits of having sleep. Um, And I know some people are like, oh, I can go on four hours sleep. That's great. You're probably an exception or you're going to, you're going to burn out at some point if you continue to do that. Like your brain and your body have to recharge. And so some people can do it on six, but like I would, the optimum is seven to nine hours. I'm a seven to eight hour person. I know I need it and it works. So because of that, I don't really have like a, oh, I wake up at 4am. It's really when I say I'm done for the day, I look at that time. I'm like, okay, seven to eight hours. Now I will say that if I, right now, none of my kids are home. I'm sitting in my house. None of my kids are home with me. They're all out. Um, Mostly in California, I have one in Ohio at the moment. But because they're not here, I don't have to manage that schedule. So I can be a little bit more flexible with when I go to sleep. I've been going to bed later because I've been trying to get stuff done. If they were here and I'd have school stuff to take care of, I would go to bed earlier, but still enough to be able to get that seven to eight hours consistently because that's important. So that's the first thing is getting that sleep. Um, And then when I wake up, my morning routine is like I mentioned earlier, I I think about, okay, what am I going to do today? So that's part of it. It's the planning. But I also focus on opening up the body, stretching, maybe a little bit of exercise in the morning to kind of get those juices flowing. So that's another part. And then the third part is just expressing gratitude, you know, and, and really taking stock of the blessings that you have in your life and why that's important that feeds into mindset is because when things don't go right throughout the day, if you have this attitude of gratitude, it's easier to let that stuff bounce off, right? Like you don't stay consumed in the negativity and the noise. So that's the other part. And the other thing I do tell myself in the morning, I think everyone should have some kind of self-talk that they they say to themselves. For me, I do tell myself that I'm going to suit up, I'm going to show up and I'm going to move the ball today. And that kind of just gets me set and ready to go. Yeah. That's perfect. So what does an athlete that you work with expect from you? That's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. I mean, what an athlete that works for me, works from me, expects from me is we're going to align on whatever the goals are for them, right? That's the first thing is we're clear. We have clarity around what is it that we're looking to achieve. And then we put together our game plan of how we are going to achieve that. They can expect honesty from me, transparency. I'm going to tell them like it is. If I'm not a yes, ma'am, yes, sir kind of person. Like if I don't agree with something, I'm going to tell you or call it out or whatever, because I think that's important. Like you have to have that kind of trust and respect in a relationship that you can have those conversations if they need to be had. So, you know, I'm, I'm very big on communication, uh, whether that's phone, text, however the preferred method is, but we will be in constant communication all the time. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask the hard questions sometimes to get people to think not just athletes, but business owners as well, because, you know, I mean, I have their best interests at heart and I want them to succeed. And so ask, in those questions sometimes is part of that that process but what they can expect is like i said the honesty communication the trust we're aligned on the objectives we're going to put together our playbook we're going to figure out how we need to adjust that over time depending on how things in the environment might change um but dependability and accountability is something that that they can definitely count on when working with me so those really do align with a corporation or an athlete or a university they, they just go right across those bridges. Can you yes. think of something where you um, you work with either a corporation or an athlete or and you just felt like we have done it. We have conquered the world with, with this. Can you think of an example 
of where you were brought in to work with, you know, a company or an individual and, and you weren't sure when you started out that it was going to actually go and it did. Sure. Yeah. I'll talk in a corporate setting. I mean, I've worked with, uh, with companies on their corporate launches, for example, for some of their products. And so it's a matter of figuring out what are, I mean, your product has their features and their benefits and stuff, but what are the messages that are really going to align with your target audience, right? And so working through the critical thinking around um, different products and how do you differentiate yourself from your competition so that you can be the product of choice. A lot of the clients I work with are more in the B2B space versus versus consumer products or things like that. And so it's really about, okay, how do we get these companies that we're targeting for our equipment, for example, or our solution or you know, our analytics to really buy into why they should partner with us and purchase our software as a service or, you know, or our products. And so I really enjoy that strategic thinking and driving that you know, critical thought process into really get into why is it you as a company, as a brand, why is this the thing that's really going to help your customer to solve problems? So do you find that your law experience can sometimes help in that B2B because you're, you're having to think kind of beyond what's actually in front of you, but what consequences might be or, or anything along that? Do you find that those careers kind of parallel for you? I think it's a combination. I think the legal aspect helps in terms of seeing possible legal issues. And also I think legal, when as a lawyer, you're trained to kind of think about different possibilities. So you're thinking through various scenarios and the risks that could be associated with them. So I think it's helpful there. I mean, I would say more just my general business experience and strategic planning, working with big companies is, is probably more of a value than the, the law degree specifically, but it definitely is another definitely. element that I can bring to the table. So Jim, what do you do for fun? I watch yeah. football and basketball. <laughs> well, I guess I guess the athletes expect you to do that. So you have to have a little bit of shop talk, don't you? That's true. That is true. I mean, I do enjoy, I mean, I've grown up being a sports girl my entire life, so I enjoy it. I mean, sometimes I like to just hang out. I, I don't do it often, but I think we all have to decompress and take those timeouts. And so when we do that, I'll just, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV outside of sporting events, but sometimes I'll just pop on a good movie, you know, and just yeah. kind of chill out on the couch. So did the pandemic have a tremendous impact for you or did you find that with the corporations that you work with, you had to really bring them to the table fast? Yeah, it's a great question. So when the pandemic hit, most of my business was focused on uh, corporations um, from a revenue standpoint. And with, with everything shutting down, guess what? Companies weren't focused on that for their business. And so I had to really pivot. And I started doing a lot more work with individuals, not just in the athlete space, but people that were job seekers. As a lot of people, you know, were now finding themselves in a position that they had to look for a job. So I started helping people with their personal branding, which include, let's look at your resume. Let's get that up to speed. Let's look at your LinkedIn profile. Let's get that, you know, in order and make sure you're branding yourself well there. So that was another thing that kind of came into my scope of services that I hadn't been focused on as much before. And so it just ended up being a, a big part of what I ended up doing last year as well, just because yeah, there was so much that was, of a need that was for that. a smart pivot. Um, do, do you find that you're doing some virtual 
training and um, presentations, or is that something that you dove into? Yes, yeah, because of the restrictions with travel and in-person gatherings, I did shift a lot to virtual trainings for companies that still wanted to do some things and had you budget. You think that's going to stick that. around? I do. I think so, because you can connect. The thing about virtual trainings is you can reach an organization's entire team with one touch point. You don't have to be in the same room. Now, there is benefit to having in-person interaction, so I don't think that's going to completely go away. But I do think that companies are going to continue to look at how could they use this, this mechanism called Zoom or other on the Teams or Google Meets these platforms to be able to connect with their employees and have consultants or other experts come on in a virtual setting because A, you're reaching more people, but B, it's less money for them because you don't have to pay the travel costs associated with bringing someone in. But then have you seen some of the downsides where a CEO is going from meeting to meeting to meeting, whereas before they really couldn't do that because there was travel involved. So have you worked with any that are kind of having the, um, the negative effects and and kind of having to coach them through that aspect. Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing thing with, with virtual is the connectivity to your employees, right? Because you're not, there's not that physical interaction. There's not that physical energy and connection. So it's making sure that you're staying in tune with how your employees are doing. Um, just from an emotional level too, it's not just about the productivity or the results for the team, but how are they mentally handling this pandemic? You know, some, some people, their kids are, are not uh, going to school in person, so they still have to manage their kids at home and e-learning while they're trying to do their job. So a lot of people are struggling with that depending on the age of their children, right? And, and so as leaders and companies, I, I work with them and coach them on making sure that you're showing compassion and empathy. And, you know, if people need to step away for a couple hours to handle their kids stuff, it's okay. As long as they're getting that work done, maybe it's not in that eight to five or, you know, whatever window, but you have to be flexible and adaptable yeah. in this environment. Yeah. I, I've heard some managers talk to that. They, they, kind of lose the side of the celebrations you know that you have when you're in person and and um and you've got to find a way to do some of that celebrating you can't just be all dry if you know really yes. hard so yeah and i've had i've had um some leaders kind of make it fun they do a staff meeting every friday and they'll be like okay this one everyone wear their pajamas or you know dress up in some other way just to try to liven it up which i think is great because it, it helps people feel connected right and staying connected to the team and to the, the purpose of the organization is very important and celebrating to your point is important too. So they try to celebrate and acknowledge and reward people to the extent that they can in a virtual environment. So when you're pitching your book to a corporation, tell me how you pitch it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my book is called move the ball. So it's all about helping the organization move the ball, get into the end zone and achieve whatever the goal is for them. And so depending on what their need is, then we'll talk about is it strategic planning and growing? Like, what's the goal, right? Is it looking at how you can grow your business? Then I'll pitch someone, okay, well, 
there are different tools and methodologies that I can drive in your organization through workshops and strategic planning sessions to help you, quote unquote, move the ball. If they're looking at from an employee productivity, a process efficiency standpoint, then I'll tell them about how I could use the same move the ball methods to help them with that particular goal. So it depends on what the goal is, but the underlying theme is still the same. It's about getting people to move the ball from point A to point B. I do not pitch it as a football thing because not everybody knows American football. And I had to really learn about how do you deal with global employees that don't really know anything about football, right? And so it really forced me to take things up a notch. So the Move the Ball book was all about football, but Move the Ball, the brand, is all about how do you take the competitive athlete mentality Very to be good. successful. Very good. So you're actually a case study for, for them of how you, how you brand yourself. <laughs> um, talk to me about your podcast. What made you go down that road? Because everything that you're doing can require so much time and having to grow it and putting yourself, not to spread yourself too thin. So talk to me about the podcast, why and the benefits that you see of it. Sure. So the reason I started podcasting was I had people that were like, Jen, you should start a podcast for many, many months beforehand. And I was just like, why would I want to start a podcast? There's so many out there. How am I going to differentiate myself from other people? I was just going to get lost in the noise. So for a while, I wasn't really focused on podcasting uh, because it is a lot of work. And then uh, there was a guy on LinkedIn who reached out to me that was like, hey, have you ever thought about podcasting? And I was like, yes, I have. And so we talked a little bit about it. And his company... Um, his company ended up, they produce podcasts. And so that's why he was reaching out to see if yeah. I'd be a prospect. Right. And uh, so we talked through it and, you know, he convinced me that, you know, that is probably a good thing for me to, to do because it's a great way to drive conversations. It's a great way to bring value to your community. And so I was like, yes, let's do it. And I figured, you know, the way, how do you differentiate, which was my other concern, which was about the conversations that you have on the show and making sure that your, that your episodes are so packed with value that people will want to come. And so um, at first I wasn't sure what I was going to call it. I did not want to call it move the ball because I felt like I had used that so much. Like I hashtag, if you search the hashtag move the ball on Google, find me anywhere. So I felt like for me, it was so commonly used that I wanted to brand it something different. And everybody I talked to was like, well, you're going to call it move the ball. Right. And I was like, no, I'm not going to call it that. And, and so after hearing enough people say, well, yeah, you have to, then it made me realize, you know what I have, because the other thing I didn't mention was really move the ball is about, it's a movement. That's what my goal was to create this movement of people thinking about how did I move the ball today? Not just the organizations and the athletes that I work with, but the people that are consuming my content. And so it just made sense to call it move the ball. So that's how we got the title. Um, and the podcast, like I mentioned earlier, was focused on having professional athletes, not just football players. Many of them are football, but professional athletes of multiple sports, um, as well as, uh, it was seven, eight, nine figure entrepreneurs and, um, fortune 500 C-suite leaders come on and talk about their views on leadership and success and, and how the competitive athlete mentality plays into that for those that were athletes. 
And you know, it's been great. I, I had season one last year. I kicked it off the day after the Super Bowl. And uh, it's been great to have the conversations that I've had. I've learned so much. I know that they've brought value to the audience. So that's important. Um, and so for me, it's been really, I'll go back and listen to episodes, not to hear myself talk, but because the stories yeah. that the guests share are just so packed with little nuggets of wisdom of actually a couple times last season, I did these best of or these highlights from different people just because I, I absolutely loved the shows. And so now we're in season two um, of the podcast. My goal is to really kind of take it up a notch and have higher profile guests on. So um, I've had in the three weeks that it's been out, Jeff Garcia, retired NFL quarterback, was my first episode for those that follow football. He was in the league for many years. I had a coach from the Stanley Cup champions last year, the Tampa Bay Lightning on talking about their road and how they had to pivot and adapt with COVID because they were in the middle of the hockey season and they had to shut down because of everything last March. So that was an interesting conversation. Um, I've had the coach uh, or the the commissioner of the Call of Duty Esports League come on the show. Um, so yeah, so there's been some really great guests. I had a, an entrepreneur come on who Kobe Bryant was his managing partner. So he talked about what it was like working with Kobe. And so it's just been great getting these other guests that have really done some cool things. Um, and I mean, and when I look at the lineup of guests for the rest of the season, I mean, there's just so many wonderful people have a Jennifer King, just as an example, Jennifer is the first African-American uh, position coach in the NFL with the Washington football team. So she and I just recorded an episode. I mean, it's just been great to, to see the guests that have come on the show and wanted to share their story. Yeah. And, and well, their that's what, there seems to be a common thread through your life of stories and lessons and, and how they can kind of overlay and, and yet come up with something completely new. So that um, I can definitely see you light up when you're talking about it. So that's. Yes. Yes. And it's been, it, to answer the question about the benefits of it, aside from that, I mean, it's a great marketing tool from a business standpoint. People learn about your brand. People want to connect with you. Some want to do business with you. So, I mean, that's a, it's another benefit. That's not the primary benefit of what or reason why I did it, but it's yeah. a great thing to well, have. You're creating well. evergreen content. Those principles don't change that you're, you're putting yes. out there. Um, and just having that interaction is, is superb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people will still go back and listen to last because I can see the analytics. And so people will go back and listen to last season. And even so I, I did get tired uh, last year. I had a lot going on. One thing we haven't talked about yet is I am in the military. So I am in the National Guard. And I ended up getting deployed last year because of COVID to help out. So I was gone from home for a few months. So there's all these things going on. And I was just like, I need a break. So I decided to take a break from podcasting uh, for Q4 of last year. And what I found was in my off season, mm-hmm. people were still downloading episodes from that. I was like, Ooh, this is pretty cool. So yeah, I mean, that content is there. It's evergreen and people can still listen wow. to it. I just cannot even imagine how you keep up with yourself. I mean, yeah, but the, the <laughs> thing that's just fascinating me though, is um, a lot of it's not your control. I mean, it is what the, either the world is doing or the the 
military being a part of that organization and then the corporations, it just depends on what's happening there, the individual athletes. I mean, your head could absolutely spin of not being able to control every element. How do you deal? You focus on the things that you can control. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a lot. There are days and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm juggling so many different things, but you really have to focus on the things that you can control and not worry about the rest. I mean, that sounds so cliche, but I mean, it is true. Like if that's, that's what you need to devote your time and energy on and not worrying about all the other things that you can't change or affect the outcome. So why worry about it? So what would you tell yourself when you're 80 years old? You know, I mean, I think it's every day is precious. Every day is a gift and tomorrow is never guaranteed. So make sure that you have appreciated every single day that you've been given and not wasted it. Uh, That's something I'm very big on now. I mean, I I think, especially with my dad passing, uh, but we've seen a lot of loss in this pandemic, right? I've known people that have passed because of COVID and and for other reasons, tomorrow isn't guaranteed. And so for me, make sure that you've lived every day to the fullest, but with, with intention, with purpose, and make sure that you're not skimping out on the relationships that you would want to matter in your lives. Because, you know, someone told me once, is a psychologist friend of mine, he's like, when, when people are on their deathbed, they never say, I wish that I would have worked more. Yeah. Right? Like, they, it's always about, I wish I would have spent time with my family, on um, relationships. So whatever it is you're chasing out there, don't do it at the yeah. expense of the relationships That's good. in your life. What do you think the bravest thing that you have done is? It's a great question. I'm going to say leaving my corporate job because it was a big deal to leave my corporate job. I'm a single parent of five. I left my corporate job being the sole breadwinner. And oh, by the way, it was a really good paying job too. So it wasn't like I was making $12 an hour and I'm going to quit to try to make more. No, like I had a really good job that I decided to walk away from to focus on being an entrepreneur and really going all in. And so that was hard. I mean, it was, it took me longer to do, like I had a date. I was like, okay, I'm going to leave. Um, it was going to be like March or April, whatever it was. And then that time was close. And I'm like, mm, not yet. I'm going to wait a little bit longer. And then I pushed the date back a month. And then I pushed it. And a friend of mine, his name is uh, Corey was like, Jen, he's like, you just got to do it. He's like, stop making excuses. And I'm like, yes, Corey. I'm like, you don't understand. You don't have kids. You know, I'm like, I, I will get there. And he's like, Jen, he's like, just do it. And so I ended up leaving on November 5th. Remember, I was thinking April. Okay. So I ended up leaving November 5th, 2019. November 5th was, would have been my dad's birthday. And so there was no better day than to leave than that day because it was my dad's death um, that really kind of set all of this into motion. So I'm kind of glad that I waited because now I have yeah, this cool story cool. that I can talk about, you know, but uh, but it was a hard decision. And then I left in November and the pandemic hit in May or March of 2020. And it was like, holy cow. But not once did I ever say I should have stayed. I never made a decision to leave. I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure this out. And I remember people telling me like, wow, Jen, this is really bad timing for this. And I'm like, no, it wasn't bad timing. This is just one more thing that I'm going to figure out. And I, what I told people was I'm going to have a great story on the other side of it. And I did when I hit my one year anniversary, I posted about how I had a six figure year and doing that with it with COVID was, you know, pretty impressive. So I'm pretty proud of that. But that, I would say that was probably the hardest thing 
I've ever done. Yeah, well, I can imagine. But you didn't make that jump or show up to this gig without some experience and without some tools. So you constantly been putting tools Correct. in your toolbox. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when I left him and I was, I knew I wanted to leave a couple of years before I did. And it was really about, okay, let's get prepared. Let's learn what we need to. Let's connect with the people that we can learn and grow from those people smarter in the room than me, right? In this space, because I was not an entrepreneur. And yeah, I mean, I had a great corporate resume, I had an MBA, I'm a lawyer. I'm like, I got this, right? I'm not going to make those same mistakes. And I, there were certain things that I did not do because I was smart enough to know not to make those mistakes. However, when you're an entrepreneur, nothing's ever going to go the way you plan. And you're always going to have to pivot. There's always something. And it's interesting because I remember I used to listen to entrepreneurs talk like, you know, Damon John, Mark Cuban, like the Shark Tank people and other folks talking about, you know, resiliency and just, you know, sticking through perseverance. And they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. Until you walk the road of an entrepreneur, you don't fully understand what that road is like. It, it, you will get tested. There are days you will be like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Like it is a roller coaster. And just being in the corporate world, you can't, you can never really understand what it yeah, feels like. I think that's true it. on a lot of things, isn't it? I mean, that life of an athlete, actually yes, can think. I, I used to sit in the stands um, at a college game and just ache because it's like those are little boys down there they're not men and they're having to go to class and all this but yet all the people around had the solution the thing that that kid needed to be doing and it's like Mm -hmm. there's more to it Mm -hmm. so that I think that goes in careers as well so well actually the pandemic was probably a good time because a lot of people were trying to figure out what they were doing and there you were to help them kind of navigate through pivoting. So there you go. Um, Jim, we have gone around uh, so many different topics and it's, it's fabulous. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure that we do touch on? Um, I think it's important to take care of yourself first. That's not a selfish thing. That's something that I've certainly been focused on. And look, the life of an entrepreneur, it's easy to work, 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 the hustle, the grind. I hustle just like everybody else does. But it's important to make sure you're taking care of, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. But especially, I think, being an entrepreneur, we tend to put ourselves last because we're trying, especially when you're in startup mode or early stage, when you're a mature, even though you're an entrepreneur, if you have a business that's making seven, eight, nine figures, Okay, you can slack a little bit, right? I mean, a lot of them don't, but you you tend to focus more on your self-care if you have a business that's generating a bunch of income. And I think it's just so important to make sure that you're mentally taking care of yourself, you're physically taking yourself, what you put in your body, you know, you're eating around. That's something that's definitely been a focus for me in 2021 is making sure that, you know, my diet is where I want it to be. And it wasn't bad, but it wasn't as nutritious as I wanted it to be. And so I'm like, okay, this year I'm getting back to that. And I have been, which has been great. But I I think it's important. The mental side too is so important, especially in this pandemic. Um, A lot of people need to make sure that they're just doing okay and and make sure that people around you are doing okay as well. So I would just say, you know, that's a big thing I would urge people to think about is, are you prioritizing you at times and making sure that you're focusing on your self-care, whether that's, you know, just hanging out on the couch and watching a movie for a little bit to decompress or, you know, focusing on going to the gym. I work out every day. I think it's important to do that 
too. So that would be my big thing I want people to think about. And also schedule time. If you're going to be a planner like me, put time in your planner for or your calendar, your digital calendar for those things. Because if you schedule it, the chances are you're actually going to do it more so. That's than true. You if you need time to plan and you haven't put any time in there, then it gets shoved to the late at night beyond what your work schedule should be. Um, you, you talked about diet a little bit. Um, it's pretty tough to eat right and, and be balanced and, and make the good nutritional choices when you're on the road. So how do you do that? Mm-hmm. For me, it's remembering why I'm doing it. So staying connected to your why. When you stay connected to your why, then it's easy for you to do the things that are important for you to do. So whether that's you have a new goal and you have it, you know, your diet, um, when you remember why is it that I'm doing or that I need to do these different things, then it's easier like, oh, yes. And so I tell people that especially when they're just starting out, um, make sure that you write it down, write down what the why is, not just write down what it is that you want to do or the thing that you're trying to change, but the why along with it. Because when you remember that, that's going to drive that consistency, uh, whether you're traveling, you know, or have a crazy schedule or what the why will keep you. Awesome. That's fantastic. Um, if you had one superpower and you had it for 24 hours, and you could use it any way you wanted to, professionally or personally. What would you choose? Why would you choose it? And what would you do with it? If I had the super a superpower, it would be to turn everybody that I interacted with into a positive person because there's a lot of negativity in this world. And we all know that we need more positivity. And so for me, it would be like, I like to think that I touch a lot of people through social media and, and content I put out. And I like to think that that affects people in a positive way, but there's a lot of people out there that don't see my content, right? So I would want to be able to reach those people to really help drive that positive influence because I think no matter who we are, we're influencing those around us and we have the ability. I mean, you have the power to change someone else's day, change someone else's life if you just be positive and show compassion and caring and all that good stuff. And so for me, I think that would be my my thing is I would want to be able to kind of just have this power over uh, a larger body of people and turn them into a positive uh, a positive force instead of me. that could change the world in 24 hours um yes. yeah the 24 hours yeah. it'll last a little bit longer yeah, just make sure that the what what you do is a lasting effect so that would be the condition that you'd have to put in there absolutely um jen this has been absolutely fantastic yes. how do people get in touch with you how do they follow you um give us a little bit of Uh, direction of how to get there. Sure. Yeah. If you search the hashtag, like I said, move the ball on LinkedIn or Instagram or any of those platforms, you should find something tied to me. If not my account directly, I would love to have you follow and connect there. Also, uh, you have a website. It's got a sports reference to it. It's www.getinsidethehuddle.com. And uh, my podcast, Move the Ball, is on all the major podcasting platforms. And I also, if you go to movetheballpodcast.com, you can listen to any of the episodes there. All right. And if somebody wanted to engage your services that uh, was in the corporate world, they would just go through those avenues? Yeah. If you go to the website, there's a contact form there. So feel free to fill that out and would love to hear from anybody that wants to chat. 
Fantastic. Jen, thank you. It's been great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on today. To the beat of my own drum I got my pockets full of dreams And they're busting at the seams Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, you'll cry a little, you'll find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it from family to philosophy to work to meal prep to beautifully surviving life. And hey, if I could ask a big favor of you, go to iTunes and give us a five rating. The more people who rate us, the more we get this podcast out there. Thanks. I appreciate it. All I got to do is count one, two, three.